when you glorify Yahuwah, exalt him as much as ye can, for even yet will he far exceed. And when ye exalt him, put forth all your strength, and be not weary, for ye can never go far enough. I am Boyce and welcome to the Science of the Covenant. And on the other side of me is the Pastor Richard Washington. And we want to welcome you again to the Science of the Covenant podcast. If you have any questions or comments while this podcast is live, please feel free to email us your question or comment at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com. Or if you're online watching on a laptop or your computer or your tablet, and you want to put your message or comment in the chat, feel free to do that, and we will try to address it live. If we are not able to do it live, we will try to get to it on the next podcast. So with that, I'm going to turn it over to the pastor. Pastor, we are on the science of the sacrifice part three. Yeah, that's correct. We call that the sacriology, which is the science of the plan of salvation. And particularly, we're dealing with the sacrificial part. And what we have done thus far in dealing with the plan of salvation, we were pointing out by implication that it was not an afterthought. It was something that was thought of before it even happened. So Elohim and his son had already prepared uh, such a plan and put it in place even before it happened. It didn't take it on by surprise. And he out <clears throat> and he outlined what would happen if the covenant was obeyed. And he also outlined what would happen if the covenant was disobeyed. And <clears throat> we were looking at some implications in the word of how that was so. So we're going to continue with some more implications of the sacrificial system. So what we want to consider at this juxtaposition is who is the woman in, in uh, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. And so before we get into that, let us have a word of prayer. Eternal Father, we thank you for another week culminated this week into this Shabbat, that you will purify our lives, wash us in the blood of Yeshua, cleanse us through the water of your word, and sanctify us through your Holy Spirit, that we may be sanctified and holy, that as we come into a sanctified and holy day, we may get a sanctified and holy blessing. Bless each listener. Bless him who does the technology. Bless him who does the speaking. And most of all, bless each one of us who are heavenly, heavenly sitting with thee. Bless those who may even consider these subjects in a future discourse. And as they listen and hear, that they may make the application to their hearts, that they want to come back to your covenant promise that when you do make your appearance, we, along with many others, may be found doing the things that you would have us to do. 
And when we transfer from temporal time to that of the eternal, we can look back and give your name the praise, for you only are worthy. So bless our sitting this day. In Yeshua's name, we do ask it, and for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. Okay, we want to turn into Genesis chapter 3. And in this particular verse, we're going to see some of the uh, implications about the sacrifice that we are dealing with. Now, here the Bible tells us in Genesis 3.15, he said, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. So in this particular passage, we find that it's speaking about some enmity, which means hatred. So let us probe into this text to find out who is the woman, who is this woman. Okay. Now, at first glance at this text, we could easily say that this woman was Eve, seeing that she was deceived by the serpent to partake of the forbidden fruit. However, there are evidence in this text that leaves us to believe that this woman is an Eve, even if she is mentioned in this passage of Scripture. So how is it that we can come to the conclusion that Eve is not the focal point of this text? So let us notice that the text points out that Yah would put enmity between the serpent and the woman, and the seed, and thy seed, and her seed. The enmity spoken of here is going on first between the serpent and the woman. That's the first enmity. The second enmity is between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. Let us consider these enmities and we'll start with the enmity of the serpent and the woman. Okay, now the Bible says that Elohim was going to make a, a hatred between the serpent and the woman. Now the text says, Yah will put hatred between the serpent and the woman, that he was going to do that. He said, I will put hatred between them for the fact that Yah said I will put hatred between them strongly suggests that this hatred would be something in the future now was this hatred to be uh, be an immediate future or in the far distant future so you got two futures here would it be done right away the near future or would it be the far future? So when this hatred was going to go on between the serpent and the woman, when when did this happen? If we were talking about putting this hatred between them immediately, then we would ask the question, why is it that the rest of Genesis 3.15 speaks of future occurrences which would take place long after both Adam and his wife Eve 
but long have departed from this earth. Because, see, when we read the text, all of what's in 315 is not taking place immediately. Consequently, if Eve is the woman spoken of in this text, how do we justify that at this time in the encounter between the serpent and her, neither has brought forth any seed? You see, the Bible says he's going to put a hatred between her seed and his seed. But at this time in the text, neither Adam and Eve, nor do we see the serpent with any seed. They don't have any children. So we can't say this was an immediate situation. This was something that's what's going to happen in the future. If that is, so if that is the case, this leaves us with a future occurrence. Moreover, it appears that this hatred is talking more prophetically than literally. Not only did they not have any seed at this time in which this prophecy was uttered, but there was no head being bruised nor heel being bruised. See, when you look at the text, it's talking about the bruising of the head and the bruising of the heel. But none of that is taking place at this time. So if it's not taking place at this time, only logically that we can deduce that this was going to be a future occurrence. Now, all this was future. Most scholars and theologians attribute this bruising of the head and the heel and encounter of, of the devil and the Messiah during Yeshua's crucifixion under Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor who had put him to death by the Roman by Roman torture. Moreover, this same text could also appear in other passages of scriptures. Now let us consider how Genesis 3:15 can also be attuned with other scriptures in the Bible. Okay. So now we want to turn to the book, we want to turn to the book of Isaiah. Let's turn to the book of Isaiah. And in the book of Isaiah, we want to look at chapter 52. In other words, he's trying to find some, some, some congruency here. Okay, here in Isaiah chapter uh, 52, we want to consider verse 4 in conjunction with uh, Genesis 3.15. Now, here the Bible says in verse 4 of, of, of uh, let me see, not verse 4, but Isaiah 50, 52. And uh, we want to look at verse number, let me see. So the, okay, here we want to look at, uh, Verse 15, Isaiah 52, verse 15. Now notice what it says. It says, so shall he sprinkle many nations. The kings shall shut their mouths at him for that which he had not been told them shall they see and that which they had not heard shall they consider. 
Now, what 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 was all of this? What was all this dealing with? Well, if we continue to read in Isaiah chapter fifty-three, notice what it says. It says in verse one, he said, "Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of Yah revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground." And he hath no form, no accomplishment, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Now, so what is going on in these texts? Okay, well, it lets us know what's going on in verse number three and four. It says, He is despised and rejected me in sorrows. And acquainted with the grief, and he hid as it were our and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. And verse four says, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, and we did esteem him stricken and smitten and afflicted. So what this is saying here is that it's pointed to somebody that is being afflicted. And and, and and dealt with, and as it says, it says there was no form or beauty in him. Why was that? That was because he was going through some brutal treatment. Now, when we read, now when we read in verse five, we'll see the correlation between this and Genesis three fifteen. See, Genesis 3.15 says that the seed of the woman would bruise the head of the seed of the serpent, and the seed of the serpent would bruise the heel of the woman, or of, of the woman's seed. So now notice what verse 5 says. It said, but he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. So here it's bringing out the bruising. And as I've said, many of the scholars and the theologians says that this bruising and all of this, of the head and the heel, that took place at, 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 at the crucifixion of Yeshua under the reign of Pontius Pilate. So what we're seeing here is that that which was uttered in Genesis 3.15 was a future uh, prophecy of that which would happen to the Messiah, because when you read in Genesis 3.15, uh, it is also a promise. He said, I will put enmity between thee and the woman. In other words, this is a promise, judgment, that he's going to bring a deliverer to deliver them from the one that has caused them to be in sin, and he would die for them. This is what the sacrificial system was all about, is that we needed a replacement for us in order for us to have eternal life. Moreover, if we examine prophetic, the prophetical aspect of Genesis 3.15, it would take us to the book of Revelation written by John. Here in the 12th chapter, let us turn to uh, Revelation chapter 12. Now, we want to look at something that is quite significant in order to understand our sacrifice. Okay, but we're trying to trace down... Uh, this prophecy and see how it's being fulfilled in scriptures. Okay. Now, when we turn to Revelation chapter 12, 
what we what what we want to look at is uh, we have a number of verses. So when we look at the book of Revelation written by John, here in the twelfth chapter of this book, it speaks about the serpent and the woman. You see, like the Bible says, if you want to know the end of what's going to happen, you have to go back to the beginning because Elohim reveals the end from the beginning. So even in uh, Genesis 3.15, which is a future application of that which would happen, we find all the way in the last book of the Bible, but the book of Revelation, it speaks concerning this serpent and the woman. This is why I preface my remarks by saying that the woman in Genesis 3.15 is not Eve. That is not Eve. Eve does not fit the description of this. He said the seed of the woman. She was not the seed of the woman. Okay. So the serpent and the woman is being mentioned in Revelation 12. Now, even though the serpent is identified with other names as well. Now, let us look at some of the names that the serpent is called. Now, when we look at Revelation Chapter 12, verse 9, let's, let's notice this. It said, And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. Now, what I want you to look at is that the devil has a number of descriptive adjectives or adjectival names. Sometimes they call him the dragon. Sometimes they call him the old serpent. Sometimes the devil and sometimes Satan. It's all in verse number 9. So the question is, how did he get the name Old Serpent? How did he get that name? It's obvious, because he used the serpent in the Garden of Eden to deceive our first parents. That's where he got the name Old Serpent. And so the serpent is identified with uh, Satan. He's identified with the devil. Okay, let us read. Uh, let us let us read in uh, Revelation 12, in verse five. And notice what it said. It said, and she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up unto Elohim and to his throne. So what is this saying? This is saying basically that this child that came forth was the seed of the woman, and therefore this woman in Revelation is certainly not Eve. Okay. And then when we read in Revelation uh, 12, 17, notice what it says. It said, and the dragon, and we know the dragon is also the devil. The dragon is also the serpent. And he is also uh, uh, the, the devil. So he said, and the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of Elohim and have the testimony of Yeshua, the Messiah. Now, what we're looking at in verse 17, it says the dragon was wroth, which means he was angry with the woman. And that, 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 that in itself sounds like a hatred. And he was mad at the woman. But we know this woman is not Eve. Okay? So we, so, so we know that. And so when we look at the woman here, the woman can only be two people. Now, when you talk about the woman having the male child, that must have been Mary, the mother of Yeshua. And then symbolically, when we talk about the woman 
of the dragon being wroth with the woman, that is no doubt representing the church because the woman in the Bible prophecy represents the church. So what do we experience? What, what we do experience is that there is an anger between the serpent and the woman of which we can also say a hatred between the serpent and the woman. So when we see all of this being played out in the book of Revelation, it is showing the hatred between Satan and Elohim's people and Satan and Mary. Okay, furthermore, outside of the prophetical interpretation of this text, there is a literal one as well. There is a mortal uh, enmity between the serpent and a human. See, Eve was a human being, and the serpent was a, a creature that had been made by Elohim, but he was used by the devil. And we find today, even though a woman is considered to be a man in the sense of being a part of the human species, yet she is classified as a woman when we look upon her as a female, just as a man is a part of humanity in a general sense, yet he's classified as a male particularly. So in other words, man and woman make up the human race. So we can either use the man or the woman. And we do know that when a man or a person who is a human being, be it man or woman, when you deal with a snake, that looks like there's some enmity between a snake and the human race. Anytime you deal with a snake, you want to get away from a snake. I don't care how small or how large it is. Why? Because you know there's a hatred there. And that's in a literal sense. But uh, since we're looking at it in a prophetical sense, uh, we view and we probe into this text to, to really understand it since we have established that the serpent is identified with Satan, our task is to find out who is the seed. Now, let's turn back to uh, Revelation 3.15. Now, what we're dealing with is, in Revelation 3.15, he said he was going to put enmity between thee and the woman. And we saw in Revelation how that hatred is going on between the woman and the serpent, or the woman and the devil. He hates the church. He's angry with her. Okay? So my question is, my question is, after you deal with the hatred between the, the uh, uh, thy seed and her seed, which means the serpent seed and the woman seed, then he said the other hatred that's going to be put out is the hatred between thy seed and her seed. In other words, the serpent, which is spoken of in verse 14 of the third chapter of uh, Genesis, it points out that he is the serpent. And this serpent that we are talking about, in verse 14 it says, And Yah Elohim said unto the serpent. So we know that when we get to verse 15, that when it says uh, his seed, it's talking about the serpent. So our question is this. Who is Satan's seed? Who is the seed? 
Okay, we, we want to look at that. Who is the seed? So if his seed is going to be against the seed of the woman, we need to know who, he, who, who Satan's seed is because he's going to confront the seed of the woman because the seed of the woman is eventually going to be the one who's going to die for us, okay? But the one that is going to put, the one that's going to die for us to death is a seed of the serpent. So let, let's, let's, let's peruse that for, for a bit. So just who is the seed of Satan? As we consider the seed, it contains all of the characteristics of that which it comes from. Now let us turn in Genesis chapter, uh, well, we don't really need to turn to it, but I'm going to quote from it. It says that when he made the plants, he put within the plants a seed that will reproduce after its kind. So, so when we look at that principle of seed, a seed would reproduce after that which it comes from. That is a law in both the plant and the animal world as well as in the human species. Moreover, this law also holds true with Elohim as well. The word seed comes from the Hebrew word zirah, Z-E-R-A. Zirah means seed. It could be either singular or plural. See, seed is a type of noun that you can say seed singular or it could be seed plural. And has the meaning of progeny, which means the offspring, or seed time. So when you look at the word zero, which means seed, it could mean the offspring or the progeny, or it could mean seed time. Now, if Satan has a seed or seeds, where do they come from? Okay, we want to find where do the seed come from when it comes to Satan? Okay, we want to turn to Matthew, Matthew chapter 22. And in Matthew chapter 22, we want to look at uh, verse number uh, 30, Matthew 22, 30. Now notice what it says here. Matthew 22, 30 says, for in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of Elohim in heaven. Okay, so now what are we looking at here? Satan is an angel. He's a fallen angel. And an angel says Yeshua does not procreate according to scriptures. So he said, that once we are redeemed, we'll be as angels. We won't marry or be given in marriage. And he said, we'll be like the angels. And the angels don't marry or are they given in marriage. So here it states that angels neither marry or are given in marriage. Angels do not reproduce. If that is so, how does Satan have a seed if he cannot reproduce the woman can rep reproduce, but how can Satan reproduce or procreate seed? How how can he do that? If 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 if, if he that does not cohabitate with another angel, how can he reprodu reproduce? 
All right, let's look at this. Let's look at this. Let's look at this thing. Okay, let us turn to Matthew chapter 13. Okay, we want to go to Matthew chapter 13, and we want to consider verses 24 through 25. Okay, we want, we want to trace down how, how is Satan able to have seed? Okay, okay. When we look at Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 and 25, talking about the uh, parable of the wheat and the tares. Now, the Bible says this in verse 24. He said, Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. And while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. Okay, so the Bible is saying he sowed good seed. And then after that, during the night, it says an enemy came and sowed some tares. Okay. All right. Now. It's talking about seed. That's what it's talking about. So what is what is seed? What is seed? Okay. All right. Let us turn to Mark. Let's turn to the Gospel of Mark. And in the Gospel of Mark, we want to look at the fourth chapter. And we want to find out what the seed is. And so in Mark, the fourth chapter, he's also dealing with the same parable. And we want to look at verse 14. Mark. Mark 4.14 says, the sower sowed the word. Now, Mark is saying, he didn't say he sowed the seed. He said he sowed the word. So apparently the word and the seed are one and the same. Okay. So let us turn to the book, of, the gospel of Luke. And in the gospel of Luke, we want to look at the eighth chapter of the gospel of Luke. And in the eighth chapter of the gospel of Luke, we want to look at, Verse number 11, the Gospel of Luke, verse 11. And he's also talking about the same parable. And here's what he says. He says, now the parable is this. The seed is the word of Elohim. So he's saying the seed is the word of Elohim. That's his word. That's what the seed is. It's the word. Okay. Now, if the seed is the word, according to scriptures, a seed is the word of Yah. Just like Yah sowed the good seed, which was the wheat, in the creation of the world, or we can say in the creation of the world, he sowed the good seed, the devil sowed the evil seed into it. The good seed was Yah's word, while the evil seed song was the devil. Okay, so when we go back to Matthew chapter 13, and when we look in the 13th chapter, we look at verse uh, 39. Matthew 13, 39 says this. Here the Bible says, the enemy, you remember the enemy who sowed those tares? It said the enemy that sowed them is who? The devil. That's what it says in Matthew 13, 39. So Elohim has a word which is good, and the devil have a word which is evil. So those are his seeds, okay? When Elohim made Adam in his image and likeness, he put good seed, he put the good seed of his word into Adam and Eve. And the devil came along and he put in him through Eve the evil seed of deception. So just who are 
his seed. Who who are who who are his seed? So we see that the word, we see that the word of Elohim is a seed. Okay. Now let's look at this. Now we're still in the thirteenth chapter of, uh, uh, of Matthew. Now let's look at this. In the thirteenth chapter of Matthew, looking at verse twenty-five again, it said, "But while men slept, his enemy came, and sowed tares among the wheat, and went his way." So the wheat is the word of Elohim, the good seed, and the tares are the evil word of the devil. Now let's in the same chapter. Let's look at verse twenty-eight, and he said unto them, "An enemy." Has done this, the servant said unto him, Will thou that we go and gather them up? But the portion that we want to look at is the first portion. He said, An enemy has done this. All right. So who is this enemy that has sold the tares? Who is this enemy who has sown the evil seed? Okay. And in, 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 in the same chapter 13, we want to read verse 39. Verse 39 says, The enemy that has sown them is the devil. The devil sows evil seed. Okay? Now, let's find out who is his seed. We know that the word is a seed, but now we have to go a little bit further. Let us turn to the Gospel of John. Okay? And in the Gospel of John, we want to look at the eighth chapter. The eighth chapter of the Gospel of John, and we want to consider verse 44. Okay, John eight forty four, and the Bible says this. He said, "Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do." He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Now, according to this. Yeshua is telling those in whom he is talking with that as they try to oppose him, he said, you are of your father. And he said, your father is the devil. So now you got to draw the conclusion. If there are those who are following the devil, then they are following his lust. They are, they are murderers. They don't care for the truth. And they are liars, he said, because the devil is the father of this. Now, whoever lies, whoever murders and do all of this, he said, that is your father. So therefore, if that is your father, then you have to be his children. That makes you his children when you do that. So anybody that lies, steal, and murder, and all of that, he said, that started with the devil. And if you pick that up, then you become one of his children, okay? So he's letting us know that the devil, in order to get children, he became the father of falsehood, okay? Now let us turn to the book of Acts. Acts in the 13th chapter, and we want to look at verse number 10. Acts 13.10 says this, and this is the Apostle Paul speaking on a certain occasion. And he said, O full of all subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all right, uh, all righteousness, will thou not cease to pervert the right ways of Yahuwah? So what Paul is saying, what makes you a child of the devil is that 
you become an enemy to righteousness. When righteousness is set before you and you don't choose it, he's, he says that you become a child of the devil. And when Adam and Eve sinned, they became children of the devil. Why? Because they, choose, they chose to listen to devil or the serpent over Elohim's voice. And so Paul is saying, uh, and all he said and said, oh, full of subtlety. And that's what the devil was. He had subtlety uh, he, uh, when he worked through the serpent because the Bible says that the serpent in Genesis 3, 1, he was more subtle than any beast of the field. He was clever. He was crafty. And the devil used that crafty servant to get across his will. And so uh, here Paul is saying, he said, thou child of the devil. Why would they child of the devil? He said, thou enemy of all righteousness. So the devil is an enemy to all of the righteousness that Elohim has given. That's what makes his seed. Those who accept his word and do what he says rather than what Elohim has given them to do. All right, let us turn to 1 John. We're going to turn to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. And in 1 John chapter 3, we want to look at verse number 10. And I hear what the Bible says in verse 10 of the third chapter of 1 John. It said, in this the children of Elohim are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of Elohim, neither he that loveth not his brother. So it's pointing out here that you are children of the devil if you do not adhere to righteousness or loveth your brother. So he's saying the same thing that we saw that Paul was saying. Paul is saying if you are enemy to righteousness, that makes you a child of the devil who is the father of it. Okay, so here John is saying the children of the devil, who are they? Whosoever does not righteousness, whoever does not righteousness is not of Elohim. Now tell me, if you're not of Elohim, who are you of? There's only one other party, and that is the devil. You become his child. Okay, let us turn to Revelation chapter 12. Okay, in Revelation chapter 12, we want to look at verses 1 through 5. Okay, now here the Bible says, And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she being with child cried, traveling with in birth and pain to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew a third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered to be for to be for to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up unto Elohim and to his throne. So the Bible is saying here that 
when Yeshua was about to be born, Satan was going to try to kill him. And we know the story in the book of Matthew where it says that Herod wanted the wise men to come to him to tell him where the child was, but they refused because Elohim had given the wise men a vision not to go back the same way they came. And he tried to kill all of the babies up until a certain age. But we find that Elohim had given Joseph a dream that Mary and Yeshua, they were to go down into Egypt. And so this prophecy is speaking about the fact that Satan, who is portrayed as the dra dragon and also the serpent, was after the child to try to kill the child because he was an enemy of what? Of, 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 of righteousness. And he knew that the child that was to be born was going to be a righteous child, so he was going to try to destroy that child. So anybody that is a part of trying to destroy righteousness or Yeshua, they become the children of Satan. Now, the last text we want to use is found in the book of John, 1 John, that is, the book of 1 John, and we want to look at chapter 3, okay? In 1 John chapter 3, uh, we want to look at uh, verse number 8. 1 John 3, 8 says this. He said, he that committed sin is of the what? The devil. He said, if you commit sin, you're of the devil. For the devil sinned from the beginning, even from the beginning of our creation, he, he was sinning through the serpent. And even when he was in heaven, even when he was in heaven, he was the first one to sin in heaven. It says, he that committed sin is of the devil, for the devil sinned from the beginning for this purpose, the son of Elohim, was manifest that he may destroy the works of the devil. And one of the ways that he was going to destroy the works of the devil is by coming to be our sacrifice to give us another right to have eternal life because the devil stole it from our first parents. Eternal Father, as we've looked and we have seen how the seed of Satan, his word, has gotten into individuals and when we practice his word, we become his children. And so we ask that as we continue to read your word and your word become a part of us, that we may treasure the good word rather than the evil word, that we may be the wheat and not the tares, so that we can become the children of the kingdom. Is our prayer in Yeshua's name, and for his dear sake we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. Wow. Uh, it's a lot to unpack. Um, it's funny. I never thought in Genesis three fifteen that that wasn't Eve. I always, for some reason, thought that was speaking of Eve, but it was speaking of her seed to come. Mm -hmm. And all. Uh, that that's wow that's that's interesting that and how you said that you want to know the ending he tell you the ending in the beginning mm -hmm. yeah. all of it is right there anything that's going in the world is right there in the beginning wow 
and one of the one of the things that's going in the world is deception. Uh-huh. And that, and that's what started the whole plan of salvation was deception. He deceived our first parents, and deception is going to be one of the last things in this world is deception. So it's interesting because as you say that, it reminds me of the verse where it talks about that he would have to cut his time short because the very elect, if he didn't, the very elect, would everyone pretty much would be lost. And that's crazy because it just says how much um, Satan is deceptive to be able to mm-hmm. uh, f- fool the masses. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's been very, uh, what my might I say, proficient mm-hmm. in deceiving the whole masses. See, in the beginning, you only had two people, which was Adam and Eve. Mm-hmm. And so he deceived, and even in the beginning, he, he deceived the whole world because the whole world consisted of Adam and Eve. And in the end, even though there's billions of people on, on, a, on the planet, mm-hmm. he's going to deceive the whole world again in the end of time. Wow. Wow. Now, now is he going to deceive everyone or is still going to be some out here that's not going to be deceived from him? Oh, no, that, that's going to be El- Elohim's elect. He, uh, he's he's going to get his uh, his people. Now, they, they won't be deceived. Okay. The Bible says that uh, if it were possible, the Bible does say if it were possible, he was he would deceive his elect. Okay. Now, his elect are the people who are really studious in the Bible, and they understand. And he said if it were possible, he would deceive them, but it's not possible. They, those they they're going to stick with Elohim all the way, and they're going to be with Yeshua all all of the way. Okay. But the world at large, outside of them, they will be deceived. In the book of Revelation, it points out he will, Elohim will have his people who will not be deceived. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and okay, let, let me just point out this just as one factor. I'll probably be talking about this text a lot more, but uh, I can use it here since you raised the question. Now, if you turn to Revelation uh, chapter 12, I mean not 12, but 13, and we look at verse 8, now notice what the Bible says. It said, and all the word and and all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So that lets you know. It says, if your name is not in the Lamb's book of life, you're gonna be deceived. But if your name is in that book, and which he does have names in the book, mm-hmm. they would not be deceived. So yeah, he's gonna deceive the whole world, with the exception of those who adhere to what Elohim wants them to do. And to rehash, uh, you said the good seed is Yah's word and the bad seed was is the devil. That's the devil's word, yeah. Mm-hmm. And if we obey it, we become his, the devil's children. If you obey Elohim's word, we become his children. Okay, and we have a question from a listener. And it reads... Mm-hmm. What does it mean when the Bible says Satan deceives the whole world? How does he do it? Okay, well, what what you want to look at is is that almost any almost anything that you do that is contrary to Elohim's uh, word uh, becomes what we call uh, being at odds or against the word. In other words, if you know what the word says, what Elohim says about it, and then you go contrary to that, uh, you're going contrary to what Elohim has said. So 
when you talk about the deceiving of the whole world, mm -hmm. you're talking about not only one individual uh, going against what Elohim says, but here we got a whole community. We got a whole world of people who are, who are, who are going against the word. So when you do that, that's the whole world being deceived. Now, what you're going to understand in the book of Revelation, and also uh, when we look at Matthew 24, uh, is, is the fact, here's how he's going to deceive the whole world. Okay. Now, let us, let us consider Matthew 24, because in Matthew 24, it tells us uh, about many of the deceptions that will come not only just upon a few individuals, but these are the deceptions that's going to come upon the whole world. Now, when we look at Matthew chapter 24, we want to consider, we're going to want to consider verses, uh, but we want to start with verse number five, okay? Matthew 24, five says this, it said, for many shall come in my name saying, I am the Messiah and shall deceive many. Now, notice the word, it says, it's going to deceive many. So in other words, you're going to have a lot of people uh, preaching his word. But as they preach his word, the Bible says some of these are false because they're going to be saying, I am the Messiah. Mm. Now, now, we know we don't have but one Messiah, and if he hasn't come yet, there is no other Messiah that we need to deal with because we know that if anybody tried to, uh, as it were, say that they are the Messiah, then we know that's false. But we know that that's going to be one of the greatest deceptions when Satan tried to imitate the second coming of Yeshua. That, that's, that's, that's what's going to happen. That's deception. And so when we look at that deception, we have to say to ourselves that even if the world believes that another Messiah is coming, we don't believe it. But if the world believes it, they're going to they they be following him, Okay. All right, let, let's, let's look again uh, in, in the same 24th chapter of Matthew, okay? Now, if we look down in this prophecy, uh, he brings out some more deceptions. So when we, when we read in, uh, let, let me see, Reve I'm in, in, in Matthew 24, Notice what it say, says here in, in verse 23. It says, Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is the Messiah, or there, believe it not. So Elohim is telling us, or Yeshua is telling his disciples, and he's also telling us, if somebody said, Well, you know, we, we know we found the Messiah. You know, he's come. He said, uh, if they say, Behold, he's here or he's there, Elohim said, Don't, don't believe it. He said, don't believe it. Okay. Why, why should you believe it? Because it's a deception. He said, that's not me. Because when I come, everybody's going to see me. You don't have to worry about going this place and that place. I'm not going to come secretly. And then verse 24 said, for there shall arise false messiahs and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible, they would do what? They shall deceive the very elect. They will save the very elect. And those elect are the people that are closest to Elohim. He said, possibly they would, they would deceive them. So that's another way that he's going to deceive the entire world by saying that he is a Messiah. 
He said, don't, 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 don't believe that. So thus, the second coming of Yeshua is in, in false prophets saying that they are the Christ and speaking contrary to the word is one way that they're going to deceive the entire world. All right. Now, when you keep that in mind and you turn to Revelation, uh, I believe that's 13. Now, Revelation 13, I think we read it already and we can read it again. Uh, what we see here in the book of Revelation, well, actually, uh, I want uh, Revelation chapter 12, chapter 12, okay. Revelation chapter 12 says this, and uh, we want to look at verse 9. And the Bible says, and, the, and that and the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. And see, in verse 9 it says, he deceiveth the whole world. Okay. He was cast out of heaven into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So his angels are going to be foremost with him in helping to deceive the entire world. So the Bible teaches that there are certain things that the whole world is going to believe. And when they believe it, then the whole world is going to be deceived. But if we are his elect and we are in his word as we should, that deception shouldn't, shouldn't, shouldn't bother us. So also when it says uh, he deceiveth the whole world, could that also reference Adam and Eve in the beginning as the whole world? Cause yeah, it was that was just them too. Yeah. They, like I said, they, they were the only two. So in the beginning he deceived the whole world and in the end he's going to do the same thing. Now, just, just think about it this way. If Adam and Eve was perfect, even though they were two individuals and they were deceived, mm -hmm. what about the imperfect individuals who are not reading Elohim's word, who are not even understanding it? And then you got the elect who are really digging into his word to try to, to understand it. They can almost be deceived. So you can, you can imagine mm -hmm. that if they were fresh from the hands of the creator and we are not fresh from his hand, of what can happen to us, especially if we are not conscientiously studying in His Word and to really understand it, that the whole I can con I can I can conceive of the fact the whole world will be deceived. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Because if Adam and Eve were fresh and we done been here, and he, Satan has time to really learn each individual, mm -hmm. yeah, I can see it would be difficult. Um. We have another question he emailed in, and actually, I was going to ask you this myself. Are the elect 144,000? Mm, yeah, they, they would fit in that co category, even though uh, you have you have more more individuals uh, that that would uh, qualify to be saved. You know, it doesn't mean that because you're not of the 140, you can't be saved. Mm -hmm. But it does mean they, they are Elohim's elect. Yeah, definitely. Uh, let's look at a couple of verses and kind of verify that. Okay, let me see. Okay, let's look at uh, Revelation chapter 7. Okay, and uh, we want to read a few verses, and I'm going to get another text, too, and we're going to look at that. Okay, okay, Revelation chapter 7. All right, when we look at Revelation chapter 7, and... We want to look at, we want to look at verse number four. Revelation seven four says, "It said, and I heard the number of them which were sealed, 
and there were still 144,000 of all of the tribes of Israel. So in other words, he's burning about Israel at this time, I'm assuming, and I think I'm assuming uh, a right that he had brought the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Israel back together. And he said, out of all of the tribes, he says, he's going to get 12,000. And if you got 12 tribes, you're going to have 12,000 out of each, which would be 144. Okay, so 100 and, if you get uh, 12,000 out of 12 tribes, you're going to have 144,000. And he says, this is a number of them, okay? So if you got 144,000, I would think that they are the elect. They are they are the chosen. They are the choice. Now let us turn to Revelation chapter uh, 14. Revelation chapter 14. Now here's what it says. In verse 1 it says, And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood upon Mount Zion, and with him an hundred and forty and four thousand, having his father's name written in their foreheads. Okay? So it's saying in Revelation 14, these same 144,000, they have the name of the Father written in their foreheads. And I'm saying if you got the name of the Father in your forehead, what would that mean? That would mean that you have been chosen. You have, you have been elect. Mm. You, 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 are, you are somebody special. Okay, now let us use, let us also in, in the 14th chapter of Revelation read verse 4. It's talking about the 144,000 again. It said, these are they which were not defiled with women. Now, what is it talking about? He said, for they are virgins. What is that talking about? It's talking about the fact that woman means church. And when he talked about virgins, it's talking about a church. He said it was, they would not defile with women. In other words, they would not defile with churches that was not teaching the truth. They would not defile with this false doctrine. Mm. He said, for they are virgins. What makes them virgins is the fact that they did not have a relationship but this false church, just like a man can have a relationship with a woman that is not his wife, then they would defile themselves. But the reason why they were virgins is because they did not connect with, symbolically, with churches that was not doing the right thing. And it goes on to say in the same fourth verse of the 14th chapter of Revelation, it says, these are they which follow the Lamb wheresoever he goeth. In other words, whatever... The lamb goes, they go. Who is the lamb? The lamb was Yeshua, the Messiah, the one who died for us. And if they followed him wherever he's going, then they became his elect. And it goes on to say, wheresoever he goes, these were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits unto Elohim and to the lamb. So it's saying the elect, they were the first fruits to Yeshua and to the Father. So here we see that they are uh, his elect. Yes, the 144,000 above anybody would definitely be his elect. Okay. So that answers my question, and I hope that answers yours, And because uh, I was wondering the exact same thing. So it was 12,000 from each tribe, which uh, mm -hmm. gave 144,000. But I just wondered, too, right. Even though the hundred and forty-four thousand is the elect, um, will there still be, you know, outside of them, um, those that won't be deceived mm -hmm. too? 
Right here. The Bible tells us right in the same chapter. Okay. In Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9, it says, After these, after this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, okay. which no man could number. Okay. So in addition to the 12,000, 144,000, you got the number that no man could number. Okay. And that's right there in verse 9, yeah. Okay. And let, let me read the whole thing so you can get a view of it. He said, after this I beheld, in other words, after the 144,000, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations mm. and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. So when you had white robes, that means you're pure. You have the righteousness of Jew. And when you had palms in your hands, that meant you had gotten the victory. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that would be a lot more than 144,000. Now, now, these are the people when, when Yahusha is coming back, or is this prior to that? Well, actually, he's going he, 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 to get his... Uh, he's going to get his... His people are going to get ready before he comes back. So once once he comes back, mm -hmm. then they will be clothed in, in, in this righteousness with palms in their hand. They would uh, have already gotten right. And then once uh, he comes, he'll, 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 he'll gather them to himself. And in other parts of Revelation, it, it, it speaks about his wife adorned herself in the white uh, raiment. Mm -hmm. And once they come back to this earth, they're going to come back to new heaven, new earth. But this is basically talking about uh, the extension to the 144,000. Okay. All right. And with that, uh, we will head into our next segment. Up next is Let's Talk About That. So this week in Let's Talk About It, I want to kind of discuss thing that I think we all do. We all worry about things. And should we worry? And is worrying a sin? So if you have your Bibles, if you can turn with me to Matthew, the sixth chapter, and we're going to read verses 25 through 34. That's Matthew, the sixth chapter, starting with verse 25. And it reads, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought of your life, or what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink. Know yet your body, what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat, and the body than raiment? Behold, the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet the, your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature. And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if Elohim so clothed the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not more clothe you? O ye a little faith. Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all things. But seek ye first the kingdom of Elohim and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. 
Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto day is the evil thereof. So, Pastor, I want to ask you with that. So is it a sin for us to worry about a lot of things we do? Because it seems like just as in Matthew uh, chapter Uh 6 brings out about how he closed the field, how he closed and then also feeds the uh, the birds and the animals. They don't w- worry about where their next meal is coming from. Should we not worry about those things also? Well, uh, not actually. We we shouldn't because uh, in the very text that you read, it, it, he, that's the whole thing that he's dealing with. Mm-hmm. It's teaching us about worry. Okay, so let's let's look at the very text uh, that that you put out. Okay. Now, when you read it, uh, he is trying to point out to you about nature and how nature uh, comes about and how the birds and stuff, you don't see them worried about uh, hanging their head low and worrying about where they're going to get food, mm-hmm. and he takes care of them. But let, let's, let's look at it this, this way. Uh, in verse 26, it says, Behold, the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap. In other words, they don't work a job. They don't go out and sow anything. And then at the end of the season, they don't even go out and, 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 and uh, after harvest to reap anything. It said, nor do they even gather into barns. And notice what he says. He said, yet in verse 26, he said, yet your heavenly father feedeth them. Are you not much more than they? Yeah. So he said, you don't know. You don't need to worry about anything. And then in verse 27, he said, which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit to his statue? He says, you can't even do that. Mm. He says, saying, why take thought for raiment? In other words, the clothes that you put on. He said, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow and how they toil not. In other mm. words, you know, they don't have to worry, worry about punching the clock, going in and worried about their clothes. Is he, he said, neither do they spin. In other words, they don't even make clothes for themselves. Mm-hmm. The flowers and all of that, all of the lizard. Mm-hmm. He said, yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. He said, you look at the lilies, look at the uh, tulips, look at uh, the dandelion, look at all of these different flowers, how, how they are closed and how beautiful. He said, even Solomon was not as beautiful one of them. And he says, wherefore, if Elohim so closed the, the grass of the field, and after they die, they just take it and use it for fuel in the fire. He said, O ye of little faith, why, why are you worried? In verse 31, he said, therefore take no thought, saying what you're going to eat and worry about what you're going to drink or worry about what you're going to wear. Mm-hmm. He said, the thing that you need to be concerned for, if you seek first the kingdom of Elohim, he said that all of the rest of this stuff is going to be added to you, just like the plants are not doing anything to keep alive, the birds in the air are not uh, scuffling about I got to go to the employment office to get a job or something. He said, Elohim still takes care of them. And if you keep his covenant, he's going to take care of you. This is why David says in Psalms, I believe the 37th division, he said, I was young, now I'm old, never have I seen a righteous forsaken or a seed bag bread. He said, it is sure, I'm going to take care of you. You don't have to worry. Elohim don't want us to go, go through a life of worry because we're going to take you out of here. Mm. Wow. Now, Now, what is it to say for like those that are maybe homeless and whatnot who 
uh, don't consistently have food to eat? Is it something maybe they have sinned and they don't believe Yahuwah going to take care of them? Or in a way, is he still in a way taking care of them? Well, if they're here, he must have taken care of them. But see, the thing about the homeless is, in fact, Yeshua, even an old and I think he was quoting from it. Mm-hmm. He said, the poor, you have what you always, you're going to always have the poor. Mm-hmm. Okay, does that mean they sin? Mm-hmm. Well, in some some instances, they did. And maybe it's a certain instance, they may have been a victim of circumstances that, that things happen. But as I understand is, is that in this country, I don't know about other countries, they still have shelters and things for them to go to. They still have provisions to be able to take care of them. Mm-hmm. Even the one that started standing along the side of the freeway and and put out their cup or their hand for money. Some people give them money. Mm-hmm. Some people may be on, on assistance. But they are still being taken care of. True. I remember when Coleman Young, when he was the mayor of Detroit, he said if it got to be a certain uh, temperature below zero, he said when you go, told his policemen and, and the people who was governing the city, he said when you find the homeless on the street and it's that cold, he said you don't even give them a chance to tell you that they're going to stay out there. He said you take them off the street and you put them in the shelters. Mm. So Elohim is still taking care of his people, even though they may be poor. And if you remember in the, oh, in the laws that he gave to Israel, he said, if the poor and the stranger come to you, they have a right to eat from your land, the corners of your your land. He said, that is for the strangers and the poor people. If they don't have, they can eat from your land. That should be for them. Once you reap your land, he said, don't go back over it. He said, everything that is left after you reap, that is for the poor and the strangers. So he made provisions for the poor and the strangers. And we who are on our feet, should have something in our budget to give to the poor and the strangers. We don't have to always go to the church or go to the shelters. We can take money out of our own budget and to be able to help many of the strangers. But now if it's too big for our purse, we can take it to the church or we can take them to the shelter so they can help out. And this is why we should be instrumental in helping these shelters and these places with money so that they can help the poor. Yeah. Um, so also to get to the point, we don't worry, as in the scripture says, we if we was focusing our attention on getting to the kingdom, a lot of uh-huh. these things we wouldn't even worry about because all of our attention is uh, trying to inherit the kingdom. Oh, yeah. It, it was just like uh, I remember one time uh, I was so engrossed in keeping the festival days and uh and I didn't, I didn't know that there was some things that was working against me. Mm-hmm. And so by the time I found it out, it was too late. And, uh, but even with that, I thought I was going to lose my job and stuff, but, but I still had my job and I was still getting paid, mm-hmm. you know, and what the, what, the, what the issue was is that, some people did not believe in what I was teaching. Some did. Mm-hmm. And as a result of that, 
I was set down for a while, and as I was sitting down, Elohim continued to make a way for me. Mm. And I can even go back further than that. I remember when I was first started to keep, not the feast days, but the Sabbath. Mm -hmm. And I was so engrossed in, in the fact that this is what he wanted us to do, that I did it. And when I would go look for a job, they would tell me, you know, I got the job, but I would have to work on the Shabbat. And I said, I couldn't work on the Shabbat. And they said, well, you got the job, but if you can't work on the, on the Saturday, we can, we, you, you know, can't get it. And so I had to leave that job. But when I left the job, <laughs> I went and got another job uh, that paid almost the same thing that this job was promising to me. Mm. And so Elohim said, one door closed, but I opened another door here for you. Yeah. So if we seek first the kingdom, he will provide for us. Now, let, let me say this, and I know this is not everybody's philosophy, but this is mine. Mm -hmm. When I accepted truth, I had to say to myself, Richard, if you were doing wrong and Elohim was taking care of you, do you think he's going to drop you when you start doing right? Does mm -hmm. that make sense? Mm -hmm. If you were doing wrong, he took care of you. You yeah. know if you do right, he's going to take care of you. And I found that to be true all through my life and all through my ministry, that when I tried to do right, even though I was put down, he still took care of me. So if you're taking care of the kingdom... Elohim said, I'm going to take care of you. Yeah, you know, it's funny because um, I kind of was going through that, not just recently, about dealing with um, keeping the Shabbat and what everything, because uh, the company I'm with had questioned, it's like, well, we need you to work Saturdays. And I was like, well, I can't. That's not something I can do. That's my holy day. And so at first they was like, well, it may be an issue, but then I guess after they thought about it, they was like, you know, so long you're letting your clients know that you can't work Saturdays and whatnot should be okay. And I was like, I let all of them know and everything. But, you know, it's just like you said, you have to kind of stand on something from the beginning, you know. And, and that's why I'm trying to grow in the aspect of not worry about everything that's going on. Focus on the kingdom because that's the end goal. All this stuff we mm -hmm. try to focus on, worrying about the income, the money, the cars, the homes, and all of this stuff, those are things that's going to perish in time. The eternal kingdom is forever. So that's what I feel our goal and focus needs to be headed is the eternal kingdom. And, and just like the scripture said, everything else would just fall into place. Mm -hmm. and, it's, and, it, and, and it's funny because I, I think about me and my sister. Many of jobs we applied for and they turned us down because and, and we couldn't worship on because, we, you know, we, we kept the Shabbat. And it's funny, mm. a lot of those businesses are not in business till this day. Mm. You know, and I just found that interesting, you know, mm. that, you know, see, people don't think one, you're witnessing to them when you talk to them about Shabbat. And then mm. when you tell them and they still are defiant. Yah looks at, I think Yah looks at that as straight up defiance that you've taken Satan's word over his. So why is he going to let that company flourish? In all. And it's just mm -hmm. funny, like most of these businesses are no longer here. 
Mm, yeah. Interesting, yeah, that's true. Well, Pastor, that's true. Can you take us to the throne and as we get ready to close out for this week? Okay. I love it, Father, as we have gone over the seed of the serpent. We pray that we will love righteousness and not to be an enemy to righteousness, to become the children of the evil one, but to your children. And as we study from week to week and as we move forward, O oh, Heavenly Father, in understanding your kingdom and especially the great sacrifice that you have given to us, that we may not only treasure it, but we may study it and to be your elect, that we may know of a certainty, O oh, Heavenly Father, that we are walking in a way that you would have us to. Help us, O oh, Father, that as we move toward the kingdom, that you would supply all of our needs, the things that we need, both temporal and spiritual that we may be able to be the children that you would have us to be. Continue to bless each listener, oh, Father. You know what each person's household is and what they desire and the things, Lord, that they need, that you would supply it according to your riches and grace. Continue to bless, oh, Heavenly Father, him who deals with the technology and the things, oh, Heavenly Father, that is needed in order to broadcast, that you would be with him, his family, be with me and my family, be with all of us, O Heavenly Father, who listens and send in questions, that the power of the Holy Spirit may continue to weld us together in a bond, O Heavenly Father, that would never be broken as we keep your covenant, that we can know of a surety, that as we walk by faith and not by sight, that we can arrive at where you would have us to. And as we go from day to day, O Heavenly Father, from Shabbat to Shabbat, that we may realize your grace and to continue to give you the praise and the honor that you are due. Now, Father, as we go through the rest of the Sabbath, give us the Sabbath day's blessing. And when we arrive into another week, oh, Heavenly Father, may your grace continue to supply to us the things that we stand in need, that we need not worry, but to know of a surety that your word is sure and whatever you says will come to pass. And we can give your name the praise, these blessings and others we ask in the name of Yeshua, the Messiah. And for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. That is our podcast for this week. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email us at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com. All the paths of Yahuwah. All the paths of Yahuwah are mercy and the truth unto such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. Until next week. Shalom.